Welcome to Square Wave on CKUW 95.9 FM. I'm your host, Dustin Rogers, and today on the program, the short career of Motowaki Technoji, a virtuosic contrapuntist who developed under the watchful eye of one of gaming's most influential and controversial composers to find that his own style could not be held by the confines of the video game industry. Over the next hour, I'll tell you the story of Technoji, explore his growth as a composer, and play a selection of the diverse scores that he created for games in just five short years. You're listening to Square Wave on CKW 95.9 FM.
five years. It's not a long time, really. How much can you get done in five years? Can you learn a language? Can you write a book? How about, can you establish yourself as a virtuoso composer, fluent in many musical styles, redefine and then break tradition, and humbly depart for greener pastures? That's essentially the arc of Motowaki Technochi's career, the composer in the spotlight for today's Square Wave show. And if you started a timer when he released his first soundtrack and left it running until his last, it wouldn't cross the five-year mark. Yet in that time, Technochi was able to develop as an artist so completely that many of his musical achievements remain unmatched to this day. Technochi is perhaps best remembered for his contributions to Sega's Shining RPG series, which drew heavy inspiration from classical music, but across his 15 original game scores, Technochi displayed an incredible range, incorporating elements of jazz fusion, prog rock, and funk into his work. Despite leading such a short career, the diverse styles of music and frequent use of counterpoints has fermented Technochi's reputation as a musical master. Today we'll explore his whole range, from the lowly sounds of the Genesis to full-on orchestral arrangements. Technochi was born on July 8, 1958 in Saitama Prefecture, Japan. His early biographical information is sorely lacking, but I can tell you that Technochi was exposed to music from a young age and studied piano in his childhood. By age 14, Technochi was beginning to learn how to compose his own works. His teachers, they were all interested in contemporary music, so Technochi found himself exposed to a great deal of popular music in the era, which he found himself drawn to. Quote, I never had any real interest in Japanese traditional music, but some fate led me to develop an association with it over the course of a number of years. It may be difficult for people with foreign sensibilities to understand, but most Japanese people lack any real familiarity with Japanese traditional music, and I was no exception. On the contrary, I overwhelmingly preferred Western music, unquote. Being a piano student and a burgeoning composer obsessed with Western music in the 1970s, it should be no surprise that prog rock had a huge influence on Technochi. He cites bands like King Crimson, Yes, and Emerson Lake and Palmer as being foundational to his development. He remembers being enamored by their odd use of time signatures or syncopation and dissonance, and these are elements that Technochi would use in his own professional work. After high school, Technochi studied at the Tokyo University of the Arts, where he began to write piano arrangements for part-time work. Already a fan of video games, especially the Dragon Quest series, Technochi wrote a Dragon Quest fugue on the piano. Now, for those who aren't students of music themselves, and by the way, I count myself among you, a fugue is... Well, it's, it's difficult to explain, but a fugue is a classical compositional structure that rose to popularity from the 14th to the 16th century. Basically, composers would first establish a simple tune, it was called the subject, and build upon it with different textures and pitches, often depending on the number of voices available to them. A common example of a fugue is Frere Jacques, which begins with the subject of Frere Jacques, Frere Jacques, before moving on to the higher-pitched counter-subject, Dormez-vous, dormez-vous. At this point in the song, a higher-pitched voice begins a new set of Frere Jacques, and one by one, more voices enter, they imitate the original subject, and they use different pitches and notes. And this layering of these iterations on the subject and counter-subject results in some really satisfying harmonies, while each voice remains melodic on its own. The challenge then becomes in stretching, bending, and contracting the Frere Jacques and Dormez-vous to make them fit harmoniously and interestingly with one another. If you're still with me here, you now have something that resembles the beginning of a fugue, but imagine that leading into a much more substantial piece where the subject, counter-subject, and all these different versions of it are interwoven and recombined to create dynamic harmonies where each voice is first among equals, 
all based on the same basic tune and each making their own independent contribution to the music. Congratulations if you were able to follow that because I really struggled trying to figure out what a fugue was, but that's basically the basics of a musical fugue. And for a composer, it's an interesting intellectual challenge. In terms of video game music, though, I'm surprised that the fugue format hasn't been more fully explored, especially as a way to reimagine older scores with shorter loops and fewer voices. It seems like a natural fit, and for Technochi, it was. After all, his Dragon Quest fugue helped him break into the video game industry, and it was what led him to his first soundtrack for a game called Jewel Master. Jewel Master is a side-scrolling action platformer for the Sega Genesis that looks like it could have been a Castlevania game. On this soundtrack, Technochi introduces us to his prog rock style, easily accessible through an in-game sound test menu. The game shows the actual names of the songs, which is pretty uncommon at the time of Jewel Master's release in 1991. Mostly back then, songs are named for the level they were featured, but on Technochi's Jewel Master score, the song names seem to be references to many of the prog rock bands that Technochi would have been familiar with. There's the songs The Gate of Delirium, To Be Over, and Close to the Edge. They share their name with songs by the British rock band Yes. You know, those are the guys who made the song Roundabout, which is probably most well-known today for its use in a popular meme format. Anyway, another song, Talk to the Wind, is almost identical in name to a song by King Crimson. And Vital Signs is likely a reference to none other than Canadian rock band Rush. Uh, there's the song Fish Out of Water, which I'm going to play for you in a few moments. That's the same name as an album by Chris Squire. That's the basis from Yes. And the song Firebird is probably, probably a reference to Igor Stravinsky's Firebird Suite. It's all too much to be purely coincidental, and considering Technochi's musical upbringing, a clear nod to his influences. So let's take a short break and hear some of the songs from Jewel Master, released in 1991 for the Sega Genesis. And when I come back, Technochi goes under the wing of one of video games' most revered and reviled composers. You're listening to Square Wave on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg.
Welcome back to Square Wave on CKUW 95.9 FM. We just heard a selection of songs from the Sega Genesis game Jewel Master composed by Motoaki Technochi. And this was Technochi's first full compositional credit. And it came to him at the recommendation of Koichi Sugiyama. Now, as I alluded to in the previous segment, as Technochi was graduating from university, his Dragon Quest Fugue brought him to the attention of Koichi Sugiyama. Sugiyama was the composer for the much-beloved Dragon Quest series, along with several other video games, anime, film, and television shows, until his death of septic shock in 2021. Classically trained, Sugiyama had already been composing for decades by the time he began working for Enix in 1985. He applied his previous experience to his work on games, becoming one of the first video game composers to record with a live orchestra in the process. In 1986, he connected with the London Philharmonic Orchestra to perform the Dragon Quest I Symphonic Suite, a series of Sugiyama's original compositions, which was then released as a standalone album. By 1987, he began touring Japan with the Tokyo String Music Combination Playing Group, performing his orchestral work with Sugiyama as the lead conductor. It was an early breakthrough for video game music, which in many ways Sugiyama helped legitimize. For many years, game music fans and composers from all over the world looked up to Sugiyama as a major inspiration and an important figure, but today, his reputation is stained by his extreme xenophobic beliefs. You see, Sugiyama was a Japanese nationalist, and in 2012, he wrote an editorial saying his belief that Japan was in a state of, quote, civil war between Japanese and anti-Japanese, unquote. In 2015, Sugiyama publicly supported a position put forward by a prominent Japanese politician that there was no need for LGBTQ education in schools, and he dismissed concerns about high suicide rates within the queer community, although he later would walk back these statements in a clarification in 2019 where he supported government action to prevent unreasonable discrimination towards LGBTQ groups. Before we go any further, I want to give you a content warning for the rest of the segment. To tell the story that I'm about to tell accurately, I have to touch on some of the most heinous crimes of World War II, and among them some of the most awful things I can imagine. I don't do this lightly, though. I mean, it's just a video game music history show, but sometimes there is history that is ugly to look at, and you have to look at it if you want to learn from it. And if you're unable to hear something like this right now, please know that there's nothing wrong with coming back in a few minutes or skipping ahead to the next musical break. With that said, the most upsetting thing of Sugiyama's beliefs is his denial of Japanese war crimes during World War II, in particular the Manjing Massacre. Sugiyama believed that the facts as recorded were, quote-unquote, selective in nature. These are facts that include atrocities such as mass rape, arson, looting, murder of civilians, extrajudicial executions, and much more. Identifying a specific number of casualties is particularly difficult, but one number given by a Japanese historian, Tokushi Kasahara, states that the Chinese deaths at the hand of Japanese soldiers told, quote, more than 100,000 and close to 200,000 or maybe more, unquote. It is absolutely one of the most horrific events that transpired in the run-up to World War II, and Sugiyama denies that this happened, much of this happened. In 2017, Sugiyama was also a signatory to a full-page ad which appeared in the Washington Post, titled, quote-unquote, The Facts, which denied Japan's use of sex slaves, which were euphemistically called comfort women, who were women and girls taken from captured territories before and during the Second World War. 
It's important that I tell you this, not because I want to make Japan out to be the bad guys of World War II. In war, I just want to be clear, in war there's no good guys. But for Sugiyama to espouse these beliefs, using his position and influence to revise, and in some cases outright deny the facts, it's incorrigible. And it's hugely disappointing to those who may have once looked up to him as one of video games' greatest composers. It's also important that you know who Sugiyama is to understand this chapter in Motoaki Technochi's story, because after university, Technochi became one of Sugiyama's favorite disciples. Any mention of Technochi's story without Sugiyama's involvement would be incomplete, because it was Sugiyama who suggested Technochi compose the music for Jewel Master, Sugiyama who appointed Technochi to arrange his score for Evo, Search for Eden, and Sugiyama who offered guidance on Technochi's next soundtrack, Landstalker, The Treasures of King Cole, which released for the Sega Genesis in 1992. Unlike Jewel Master, Landstalker was intended to be a high-profile release for Sega, and the game was slated to release overseas in 1993, making it Technochi's pseudo-musical debut. The game was also supposed to be part of the Shining RPG series that Technochi would soon be responsible for, but some internal disagreements during development meant it would be broken off into its own universe. In 2017, in an interview, Technochi said that he wanted to create approachable music for this soundtrack, and this approach, combined with Sugiyama's influence, led Technochi to shelve much of his prog rock proclivities for a blend of orchestral and rhythmic elements to underlie this score. Today, Landstalker is remembered as one of the best scores on the Sega Genesis platform, and it's an important step in Technochi's eventual move towards full-on orchestration. Please enjoy this selection of songs from Landstalker, and when I return... Technochi emerges from under Sogiyama's wing as a master in his own right and a compositional talent to rival his mentor. You're listening to Square Wave on CKW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg.
Welcome back to Square Wave on CKW 95.9 FM. If you're just joining us, this hour is dedicated to the short-lived career of Motowaki Technouchi, who composed for many different games during his five-year stint as a video game composer. We just heard from Landstalker, released in 1992 for the Sega Genesis. It would go on to be Technouchi's first Western release and the first time his music would receive worldwide acclaim. I also mentioned in the last segment that Technochi arranged the soundtrack for EVO, Search for Eden, which released on the Super Nintendo also in 1992. And while all this was going on, Technochi was working on another game, his first official entry in Camelot's Shining RPG series, Shining Force Gaiden for the Sega Game Gear. Shining Force Gaiden, which released in Japan in late 1992, was the third game in the Shining continuity and the direct sequel to Shining Force, which had only released a few months earlier. As I mentioned, the game was developed by Camelot Software Planning, but at this time, in 1992, they were a division of Sega called Sonic Planning Software, named for the company's mascot, obviously. This would change a couple years later when they separated from the parent company, thus changing their name to Camelot. And today, Camelot Software Planning is best known for their Mario Golf, Mario Tennis games, and also the RPG series Golden Sun, which I hear might be getting a new entry soon, all of which are on Nintendo consoles. But in 1992, they were well known as the developers of the Shining series, which had begun a year earlier, 1991, with Shining in the Darkness. Shining Force Gaiden did an admirable job of condensing the Shining Force experience down for the handheld system. Much of the RPG and combat elements from the previous titles appear intact, and the graphics are a clear step up from any of the Final Fantasy games that released for Nintendo's 8-bit home console, the Nintendo Entertainment System. I think that's a good comparison because the Game Gear is also an 8-bit console, one that shares DNA with the Sega Master System, so it's quite a feat for the small screen to pull off. Gaiden would receive a sequel in June of 1993, which Technochi also composed. Once again released on the Game Gear, the plot of Shining Force, the Sword of Hyja, picks up two months after the events of Shining Force Gaiden and serves as a continuation of the Cyprus saga. This story would culminate in Shining Force CD, which is a remake of both games and released for the Sega CD in 1994. Shining Force CD takes the stories of Shining Force Gaiden and Shining Force the Sword of Haja and updates them with new graphics, additional story chapters, and a fully orchestral soundtrack composed by Technochi. By the time of its release, the Sega CD was already in decline, and as a result, Shining Force CD released to little fanfare, but it has since gained something of a cult following and today is considered to be one of the best titles for the Sega CD platform. And oh yeah, it's going to be included in the upcoming Sega Genesis Mini 2, so you can try to get your hands on one of those if you want to give it a shot. Now, you're probably expecting me to go on at length about how Technochi was finally able to realize his full orchestral vision for the release of Shining Force CD, but the truth is that this happened in 1993 with his compositions for Shining Force 2. How could that be, though? Shining Force 2 released for the Sega Genesis, and that does have a great sound chip, it's really good at FM synth, but nobody would mistake that for a true orchestra, so what gives? Well, with Shining Force 2, Technoshi took a page from Sugiyama's playbook and composed the entire game's soundtrack as though it were for an orchestra, taking care to ensure that the composition still sounded good when produced by the Genesis. What resulted was an incredible neoclassical soundtrack, one that pushed the console sound to the brink of what many thought was possible, and is comparable in scope to the works of modern classical composers such as Sergei Prokofiev and Aaron Copland. But that's still not an orchestra. You see, for Shining Force 2, Technochi went even further. He took inspiration from his mentor's Dragon Quest Symphonic series, 
and he reorchestrated several of the tracks from Shining Force 2 for a special album called Shining Force 2 Symphonic Suite, which released in October 1993, a full nine months before his Shining Force CD soundtrack. This, this is the first time we get to hear Technochi's full compositional talent, unrestrained from top to bottom. It's filled with his signature use of counterpoint. The album is jubilant. It's an emphatic statement by the composer that he wasn't a disciple anymore, that he could live up to his pedigree. As a result, the album compares favorably to Sugiyama's Dragon Quest Symphonic Suites, and today it's still regarded as a hallowed entry in the hall of great arranged albums. As much as I would love to play for you music from the Game Gear games that I mentioned, or from the Sega Genesis release of Shining Force 2, or even the orchestral Shining Force CD soundtrack, they're all worth checking out. But Shining Force 2 Symphonic Suite is Technoichi at his finest, taking everything that he learned from two years as an understudy and producing a score to equal the greatest achievements video game music could have imagined in 1993. And for this reason, it's what we're going to listen to now. And when I come back, Technoichi goes even further beyond. This is Square Wave on CKW 95.9 FM. <laughs> Thank you. 
Welcome back to Square Wave on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. You just heard a selection of tracks from Motowaki Technology's Shining Force 2 Symphonic Suite, which would have sounded right at home on Shades of Classics, which is the classical music show that airs on this station every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. So if you enjoyed those tracks, make sure you check that program out as well. But for the next phase of Technochi's short career composing for video games, he would expand beyond this orchestral sound that he'd already mastered, returning to the more experimental, prog rock-inspired sound that had defined his early works, and incorporating more rhythmic elements as well. The first of these soundtracks that I want to highlight is a Japanese-exclusive game for the Super Nintendo called Grand Historia. Now stop me if this sounds familiar, but Grand Historia, released in 1995, was a turn-based RPG featuring time travel elements that would allow the protagonist to go back and rewrite history. It was developed by a team called J-Force, founded by Masahiro Akashino, the same person responsible for founding Wolf Team. And they are the group behind the Tales of series. Today they are known as Namco Tales Studio. There's a bit of a strange story here, which is why I bring up this anecdote. During the development of Grand Historia in late 1994, Masahiro Akashino disappeared. He was never found. I don't know if that has to do with some possible debt. It's all speculation, but basically, poof. He was never seen again right to this day. And the struggling J-Force team crawled over the finish line on their projects and disbanded. In a 2017 interview reflecting on his work for Grand Historia, Technochi said, quote, For Grand Historia, I was offered the opportunity to use folk music. But to assemble those kinds of sounds, you had to start by buying the instruments. What's more, the music programmer just didn't do his job, so none of those sounds are in the game at all. Working with the drivers was a pain, as the default sounds were awful, and we had to do workarounds, even to fix issues with pitch. On top of all that, the development company fell into unprofitability partway through development, and I hadn't been paid up front. All of those circumstances together made it difficult for me to work up the motivation to compose, and it's really unfortunate that the game became a title I don't want to be associated with, unquote. I have to agree with Technochi on this, because his soundtrack for Grand Historia is really good. It features some unusual instrumentation and some time signatures that make his score really distinct from other RPGs of the era. Fortunately, his self-imposed reinvention had only just begun because his next soundtrack would be an even greater departure from the orchestral creations he had released two years earlier. In 1995, Technochi would reconnect with Camelot, which was then still Sonic Planning Software, for his final game in the Shining series. It was called Shining Wisdom, and it spent most of its time in development with the intention of releasing for the Sega Genesis, but was reworked at the last minute to release on Sega's new console, the Sega Saturn. This led to numerous issues with development and a great deal of frustration on Technoji's part. In the same 2017 interview, when asked about his Shining Wisdom soundtrack, Technoji said, quote, For Shining Wisdom, I wanted to go with a progressive, fusion-esque sound. Sega's development equipment could be used as a really nice synthesizer, but as I mentioned before, there were a lot of bugs, which made the process very difficult. Even if you reported the bugs to Sega, they would all meet with a response of, it's up to spec. So I tried to exploit these bugs and produce some really odd sounds, but I couldn't recreate them in the latest emulators. And of course, I couldn't recreate the sounds I wanted based on those bugs. It was a horrible experience all around. Also, when played on an actual Saturn console, there were problems with slowdown that hadn't been accounted for in development, which led to awful fluctuations in the tempo of the music during gameplay, so the music was poorly received. I wanted to do something to counter these problems, but I couldn't. 
because the cause was in Sega's own drivers, and we had problems with deadlines, so my desire for improvements was not granted, unquote. I like this quote because it highlights just how difficult game development can be. Composers, especially those of technology's caliber, take their work really seriously, and for someone like him to be an afterthought, it was an insult. And I think it was one that stuck out in his mind even 22 years after the fact. Clearly it's there in 2017 from that interview. I think it's one of the reasons that he would choose to leave video games the following year. Before we get there, though, I want to play one track from Technochi's Shining Wisdom soundtrack, which stands apart from his other Shining series efforts. On Wisdom, Technochi offers a highly synthesized, highly rhythmic prog rock and jazz fusion, where the influences that were once so obscured in his Sugiyama-inspired scores for Landstalker and the earlier Shining games finally come to the fore here, and in their most overt ways yet. You're listening to Square Wave on CKW. 95.9 FM.
Welcome back to Square Wave on CKUW 95.9 FM. This is the final segment on Motoaki technology, and after this point, that is, after the release of Shining Wisdom in 1995, Technology would only compose two more soundtracks, rounding out his five-year career in video games before moving on to work as an art music composer and recording and performing live as the keyboardist with a Japanese indie band called Autumn River Willow. His final two soundtracks, which both released in 1996, are Gun Griffin, The Eurasian Conflict, and SD Gundam Over Galaxian. Of the two, Gun Griffin is more representative of Technology's signature style, featuring strong rhythms, simple melodies, and a masterful use of synth and other instruments. It's a fitting end to Technoji's discography and marks his departure from the industry in fine form. Like Shining Wisdom, Gun Griffin was released on the Sega Saturn, and this soundtrack had Technoji using the console's CD audio playback, so by his own account, the production went very smoothly. As for his decision to leave the games industry, Technoji said, quote, I couldn't be satisfied with a corporate system that allowed unfinished products like Shining Wisdom to be put out onto the market. I also didn't feel at home in the genre of video game music itself. I couldn't create music freely, not only because of the characteristics of the hardware, but because of the nature of incidental music as well. Of course, these limitations are naturally part of the job, but I was also made keenly aware of the fact that some things can only come to exist outside of such limitations. The primary reason was that a poorly made game would come to reflect negatively on the music as well. In the end, I would not be treated as though I were part of the music industry, but rather as part of the game industry. It's not so much that I wanted to separate from the game industry, but that I wanted to enter into the music industry." Unquote. When asked in 2017 whether Technoji would consider ever returning to video games, he said, quote, If there were a game music request I could get along with, I would welcome it. I don't know if I would create the same kinds of things that I created when I was younger, but it might be even more enjoyable to discover a new approach. Naturally, if there are any interested parties out there, by all means, go ahead." Unquote. And personally, I still hold out hope for another Shining game featuring an original score by Technoji, but even if not, his fleeting five-year career where he overtook his contemporaries and forebears alike remains an incredible gift to video game music fans around the world. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Square Wave. Please join me again next week for more video game music history. If you'd like to connect with the show, message me, or catch up on older episodes, you can follow Square Wave CKUW on Twitter and soon on the podcast app on your phone. Square Wave is written and hosted by me, Dustin Rogers. The show's theme was composed by Spaceman Fantastiques. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned for more great programming right here on CKUW 95.9 FM. <laughs>